Welcome back to another episode of Aboutcast. It is your main man, Jordan. So, so excited and really, really ready to record this podcast. This is a podcast of the leadership analysis of Miyamoto Musashi. As you guys know who have been following along in the podcast, we've been doing all of Musashi's work so far. Did a review on um, Musashi the book that was a loose fiction-based novel on his life. And... Of course, the Dokodo, the Garin Show, or as we like to translate it to, the Five Rings or the Book of Five Rings. And this one's a heavy one. So um, strap in. I think you guys can learn a lot. I've learned so, so much just by doing the research on this and accumulating it all for you guys. So without further ado, let us get into it. Generally speaking, the way of the warrior is resolute acceptance of death. So essentially what we're having here is, uh, this is one of the, you know, it was hard to kind of figure out a way of writing an intro here. So it took a bit of time and I figured what's the best way is, you know, use somebody else's work. I think that the sheer warrior mentality of that quote by Musashi is a window to who he was. The warrior mentality is something that permeates all of Musashi's thoughts, characteristics, and actions. This guy makes me think about how a Spartan human is, so multifaceted, and this reminds me of another thing that Musashi said as well, which was, if you know the way broadly, you will see it in all things. So this essentially means that you can be a warrior with a sword in war, a warrior with the pen in poetry and writing, and a warrior with the mind in things like philosophy. I think it's actually super, super important to make that point clear, because later on I'll talk about some really, really important stuff, and even not only in this podcast, but further on podcasts we'll be talking about this. But after some thought, I think the proper nomenclature for what that just was would be specialized multidimensionalism. The reason I'm naming this is because obviously, like I said, we'll be running into this, um, you know, this type of leader and this type of use of technique a lot further on in this podcast doing analysis on leaders. So this methodology of specialized multidimensionalism is essentially one of the amazing hacks that we can do as humans. I have tons of examples for you guys, but before that, the strong reason or example of a skill that is adequate or adaptable is leadership itself. You always see, you know, other skill sets in this, but leadership, you can be leading on a battlefield, but also in a business room. You can think of Jocko Willink for that. You can lead, you know, in small scale. So it could be, you can even lead yourself in some ways. So that'd be Peterson-esque. And then you could lead others as well. But also to kind of uh, spread out our understanding or perspective of specialized multidimensionalism, you can think of people like Kobe Bryant. So he had the amazing ability to outwork people or, you know, he also had the ability of breaking down detail. And, you know, this is amazing because he used it on the basketball court, of, of course, but also in his media endeavors as well. And then also in coaching. So there's multiple facets of this. And just so that you guys are warmed up and brushed up with it, um, you know, I think that was amazing. But also, I have to say, with a callback that would honor all the comedy shows that I dearly, dearly miss, being that we're in COVID times, like Musashi already said, and I told you guys, if you know the way broadly, 
you will see in all things. So essentially that sentence is a specialized multidimensionalism to a T, being that you either take some sort of philosophy, mindset, or skill set, and then you juxtapose it or utilize it in a different realm to any very varying degree of effectiveness. So it could be in smaller scale, larger scale, like we just talked about. But that is something that I find super interesting and amazing and something that really stuck out to me with Musashi being that he has this like really stark and strong warrior mentality. And it's really, really pronounced in the things that he's done in his history, his past actions and everything like that. So this is like, obviously, if you've heard of our leadership breakdowns um, before on this podcast, you should know what's coming. But if not, welcome. Um, so essentially, just to run it through, we'll have a brief run through of uh, Musashi's history. And the reason that this one might be a little bit lighter because Musashi was a really busy guy in his day. But the most interesting things or contextually important things have a lot to do with the things he said, thought. But of course, on top of the action, so we'll definitely touch on some of that history. But anyway, with the brief background of Miyamoto Musashi, uh, he was born, people say, um, you know, being back in that day and um, records were a little bit not as thorough. Uh, they say he was born in March, March 12th, 1584 in the Harima province. And, um, you know, this is my perfect opportunity to apologize for any butchered pronunciations of any Japanese names or words. Um, I'm doing my best, but if you feel so inclined, you can also you can also hop on, comment, and drop us an email out here just to ride me a little bit longer anyway. And I totally welcome that. So anyway, a little bit more about his family life. Um, Musashi, or his full name, which is the first feat that I'll do today, his full name is Shinmen Musashi no Kami Fujiwara no Hurun no Bo. And like I said, he was born in the springtime. And the interesting thing about um, Musashi is he was born into nobility. So his mom, who died giving birth to him, was the daughter of a local chieftain. His dad was a just a badass in his own right, and his name was Shinmen Minusai. Uh, there was also a few other nicknames for him, but let's just stick with that just to keep it simple. Um, he also had an older brother, and this is where I think um, it's not really, I think, too contextually important to talk about his brother at all, um, but it is important just for the background of you guys anyway. So uh, one of the things that Musashi grew up with was uh, that actually would affect him throughout his life is he had eczema, which, um, you know, is a skin condition of just like regularly or extremely dry skin. This is something that um, actually affected him enough to, um, you know, affect his appearance and also his habits. So um, Musashi was known for kind of being a interesting cat with the things that he used to do or like habits or mannerisms. So, um, when he was going out through life, he would be known for not bathing as much or not changing his clothes as much. And I think that is due to the eczema itself, because once you bathe, your eczema dries out. Um, fun fact, not too much more to say about that. And essentially, this guy gets started really, really early. At the age of 13, Musashi fights his first duel and beats a guy named 
Arima Cahill. And the kind of the way that this went is actually really, really interesting. Um, well worth a, you know, a book or anything like that on its own. So essentially the samurai was, um, you know, around the area and he posted a sign saying, Hey, I want to fight somebody. If you want to fight, write your name on here and then we'll get it cracking. So Musashi at the age of 13 wrote his name as a challenger. Um, a messenger came back to his uncle's place, which at the time Musashi was living with his uncle. And this is something that we'll also talk about a little bit further on. And um, essentially what we're dealing with is a little bit of a primogeniture, which is essentially when there's um, different handlings of firstborn and secondborn. So usually uh, people will adopt the secondborn. And so Musashi grew up with his uncle for the majority of the time, being his dad was um, a samurai himself and was on retainer doing things. And they had the, the older brother as well for Musashi. But essentially, so going back, um, Musashi's uncle was just like freaking out, thinking, oh, my 13-year-old nephew slash son um is gonna get in a fight with this grown man um obviously trying to get out of it um musashi's uncle was trying to talk his way out saying like hey um you know arima please forgive this kid he doesn't know what he's talking about um at the duel so musashi's there his uncle and then the challenger and he's like hey dude please don't kill my nephew he obviously doesn't know what he's doing um you know obviously it's just kind of like teenage angst all that good stuff so anyway so the guy's saying okay sure but he has to apologize to me so as um, musashi's uncle goes to him and says all right dude you better apologize to this guy as that is happening musashi charges his um challenger or not the challenger but um the guy he's supposed to be fighting and he with a six foot long quarter staff and um this attack was, um, you know, handled all right. And then basically, um, Kyle attacked with his short sword, but Musashi like threw him to the ground with, uh, you know, some of the things, uh, judo actually came from, um, Japanese fighting. So it was probably like, you know, I'm thinking head and arm control and then read the leg and slam this dude to the ground or something cool like that. And then essentially on the ground, um, as Kyle was trying to get at Musashi, beat his head in with his quarterstaff and killed him. And um, there's a few other things. So um, in a in a kind of a third party work called The Lone Samurai about this event um, from William Scott Wilson, he talks about how Rima wasn't too skilled of a samurai himself or swordsman and was just really eager to battle. So probably a really, really good, um, you know, Good luck by Musashi picking on somebody who's not too gifted at first, but anyway, so it goes. So essentially at the age of 13, that happened. Um, his second duel was at the age of 16. And for you guys who know, um, Musashi's had about 60 fights who's never lost. Imagine him as like the Floyd Mayweather or Floyd Mayweather of samurai swordsmanship, um, but even way, way, way better, of course. So um later on uh musashi around early 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 20s he fights three battles he actually goes off and starts just challenging fools just to see uh, how much of a man he is and then ends up um challenging and having three matches matches with uh, the yoshioka clan 
which is in Kyoto. And this was one of the really, really big dojos and families as far as martial arts go in the area at the time. And he handled business, of course, you know, undefeated record. And then around 27 is when he found Zen Buddhism, which is a really interesting aspect. If you guys have listened to my Dokodo audio or my podcast there, you would know that there is a lot of, um, you know, interplay with Musashi's philosophies on life, swordsmanship, and all of those things um, that have a lot of ties to Zen Buddhism. And so one thing that I definitely am interested in doing, which I will hear soon, so expect an episode in the coming future on the differences between Stoicism and Zen Buddhism. There's actually some marked differences, but they kind of approach or see the same problem as far as suffering goes and whatnot. So I find that really interesting, and this is something that also affects Musashi for a long, long term in his life. So back to his father, um, uh, at some point, Musashi actually reconvenes with his dad and learns kind of more of the martial art and skill of uh, specifically uh, Minusai. And so this is kind of the um, interesting skill building part of Musashi, where I think around age 23, when when he was around traveling time, he actually came and learned from his father. And his father actually knew, well, quite a few things, being that he was a really, really prominent and skilled samurai of his own, but also knew things to do with the Jewet. And so what a Jewet is, is um, I looked at pictures and it was around kind of like, well, it's like what the traditional Japanese policemen would use. And it's kind of like this dagger baton thing that um, doesn't have any points or sharp edges or anything like that. But I think it's mainly for like disarming people. And if you guys can think of Electra from the Daredevil movie, uh, think of that. And I can't think of the actual name. I'm sure it does have one, but um, that's that's essentially what a Jewet is on one side. And then it doesn't have a hook on the other side. So um, that's actually, so this is kind of um, spurious and possible like hearsay of when Musashi kind of learned how to do the you know the basically the two-sworded technique with the long sword and the short sword and um this was possibly inspiration but the amazing thing about musashi of course is that he you know and you'll see in the ratings and stuff of that nature that he pulls a lot of inspiration from a lot of different places so this could be the case or it could not be but there's no real confirmed rumors or anything but just using stipulation and understanding of what's going on um this is what I think what possibly has happened in his life. But anyway, so um, Musashi still continues to duel different masters of different types of things. Uh, he duels uh, Muso Gonosuke, and that was the five foot staff master in Edo um, and a lot of other places, which Edo, of course, uh, turns into Tokyo, but isn't the largest area in the time. I think it's still second largest to Kyoto at this time in the 1600s. Um, he still keeps beating people up, beating people up, beating people up. And then, like I said, at 27, he learns about Zen Buddhism. Um, and then this is kind of the fateful around this time after two, the year after 27, so 28, he fights uh, Sasuke Kojiro. And for you guys who've listened to everything, especially the Musashi book review that we talked about, uh, Kojiro is the main or the opposing force to Musashi. And that's the last guy duels. And famously, he beat him up with a 
wood, like a makeshift wooden sword thing that he fashioned out of an oar on his way to the island and then bounced really quickly because he didn't want to get jumped, which makes sense. And so um, he he kind of continues his way, um, you know, um, you know, going and challenging people. He obviously is extraordinarily well known at this point. Um, and then during uh, during some point in this, you know, story or history of Musashi, he actually adopts his first son. And his first son is named Miyamoto Minosuke. And this guy was, um, at the time, I believe he was around 14. There's mixed messages as far as the understanding of how, um, at what age uh, he was when Musashi met him around this time. And it was commonplace for, um, essentially, you know, for samurais and Japanese people to adopt kids at this time. And so, like I mentioned the word primogeniture, it essentially means kind of the birthright of the first or certain specific uh, things that the firstborn son gets. And that is specifically one of them. So, um, you know, Musashi got adopted to his uncle um, and things of that nature to kind of uh, solidify lines of heritage and family and skill sets and stuff like that. So this might be one of the reasons why Musashi adopted this kid, but essentially one of the other reasons too was um, this kid was in a very, very poor state. Um, he was taking care of his elderly parents, um, but I think it was actually his mother. Um, it was later debunked that not both of his parents were alive at the time, but essentially Musashi said, hey, um, you know, I want to adopt you. And the boy said, you know, hey, sorry, but um, I have I have responsibility to take care of my mother or my kind of elderly parents. And so Musashi gave them a small fee as far as just kind of like throwing him some cash and took the boy along just because he was uh, really impressed with the boy's integrity and things of that nature and his uh, sense of duty and honor. So that was really cool. Um, later on, just to finish the line of Mikonunosuke. Oh, that was a tough one. Let me let me try that one more time. So to follow the or end the line of Minonun Osuke, uh, essentially he actually came out to be quite a proficient uh, swordsman and practiced Junshi, which is a um, martial art. Um, but actually, Junshi was something that fatally killed this man. But he was a prominent swordsman and he was under Lord Taiyu at the time. And uh, what happens was at certain times, um, there's uh, unfortunately things which uh, actually ended up not happening uh, anymore. It got ruled out. But for an unknown reason, um, Lord Taiyu uh, died and Mikunuseke, Mikunun no Suki. Sorry, guys. I'm really trying. Um, he had to leave Lord Taiyu right before this happened. And it was tradition for like that name that I just said, Junshi, to have the top commander uh, commit suicide when his lord died. And so after his passing on the sixth day of mourning, um, Musashi's son was supposed to be killed. And he was 23 at the time, which is obviously a really, really heavy blow for Musashi and everyone else in the family being that he was so promising. And essentially the story was, is that, um, you know, that he came back home to have one last feast with his dad, Musashi, picked up a glass of sake and saying, 
I drink this glass to bid you farewell. And after saying goodbye to Musashi with tears, he returned to Edo to die. So really, really um, kind of tragic and crazy death of uh, Musashi's firstborn son. And of course, this is something that heavily affected him um, throughout his life and everything, you know, prior. But essentially, this is a, a kind of a big note just of saying kind of Musashi is a is relatively empathetic and there's um, when we go to scoring I mark his empathy more so on something else but um, his empathy there uh, is quite quite clear adopting sons and everything like that so anyway going further on um, Musashi's in like mid to late 30s and he travels to Edo where he meets or adopts his second son at the age of 39 Iori and a little bit about Iori is um, he was actually um, so this was a son of another samurai so essentially this was kind of the second son type of thing where um, another samurai would adopt somebody's son if it was you know the second son just because the first would get the attention and probably proceed the line but anyway, according to the Bukolden, uh, Iori, or Hasiumutsi, had passed away at some time, and Musashi met Iori. And essentially, um, there had been two children, a son and a daughter, but they later had been, they later had been married off to a man in the village, so it was the boy's mother had passed away earlier, so Iori was just leave, living alone in a small hut, surviving off of just whatever he produced off of this wild plot of land, um, in this weird, uh, shadowy mountain behind, or by a mountain, so really off the wayside, um, but anyway, after Musashi adopted him, he wanted this, his son to have a secure future and safe future, of course. So um, at the time, Musashi was residing in a castle nearby the town of Akashi. And on invitation of Ogusawa Tadazen, uh, gosh, yeah, guys, I'm really, really trying here once again. Um, having been asked by later to kind of designate Akashi's new castle grounds. Um, well, essentially, just to cut it short, um, you know, Musashi's son, Iori, um, he wasn't very skilled at uh, sword fighting, which Musashi knew about, but he was extraordinarily skilled and talented in kind of strategy and methodology, and he worked his way up um, to being somebody who was amazingly talented and um, really, really strong in kind of the realm and uh of lord tadazen's uh forces and so lord tadazen promoted him to kokoru fife in kai ushu and that's where he moved down with him and it seemed that you know he just became like a really talented nobleman and um uh, just reaching the ranks of chief retainer and was with a fife of 5,000. So very, very talented young man, not a sword fighter, but still very skilled in the art of rhetoric, strategy, and all of that good stuff. So um, just to cut this one, uh, a line. So some people may think that Musashi had a third adopted son. And after some research, uh, this was the younger brother of Mikonusuke. And it seemed like 
he adopted his younger brother and not Musashi necessarily. And of course, probably if they tagged along, then it might have been different. But there was not much said about this and nothing of meaning. Um, so that is where I'm going to leave that. And then there's also rumors that Musashi had a uh, natural daughter too by somebody. Um, and of course, notably, Musashi's always chosen the sword over marriage or anything like that. So uh, that, that would have been an interesting thing. But um, at the age of three, she got sick and died. So once again, not much to say there, but um, another kind of life-changing thing for Musashi at the time. But anyway, we're going to hop back into um, this timeline at the age of 42. That's when Musashi's first son committed suicide and essentially um, around 50 and on Musashi really started practicing the arts um, and so he just kind of had he actually had a dojo and everything like that um, and was practicing and showing the art of the two swords and everything like that at the time um, of late 50s they were saying that he actually um, he suffered from some medical issues at this time and so one thing that I saw was that he suffered from like nerve pain um, not specifically known where but um, he also ended up possibly dying from cancer um, of the lungs of some sort so that is kind of where this um, you know medical ailments start coming in but also at the very very end of his life at 61 he wrote the Book of Five Rings, and then the Dokudo as well. So that kind of uh, surmises Musashi's life um, in a very, very brief and unsatisfyingly um, rich way as far as the detail. And there's so much to learn about Musashi and the things that he's done and everything like that. But now to the scoring guide. And um, if you guys do want to learn more about Musashi, we also have podcasts on that that I've done. So don't be afraid to go and look through those. They are um, pretty good and they're a really good like starting off point to understand this guy a little bit further and a lot better. But anyway, so uh, essentially when we go to the judging or the scoring of these leaders, just a quick catch up. We have six categories, empathy, integrity, collaboration, vision, self-awareness, and then the X factor. And all of these are scored out of zero through five. So the max score is 30. The lowest score is zero. Um, kind of self-explanatory. And then throughout all of these scores, I'll give my kind of uh, understanding or reasoning to why I chose this. And then we can go from there, essentially. So when starting with the first notch or score, I gave Musashi a four as far as empathy goes. And the reason I gave him a four was, like I said, I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but he obviously adopted his three to two sons. Um, and although that was a cultural norm back in that day, it's still, I think, something to think about as far as empathy wise. And, you know, the people that he extended his arms out to for adoption and those things and wanting to see that his sons have a had a secure future in that sense as well. Another thing that I find um, that Musashi definitely has to get a nod on as far as empathy was actually his duels themselves. So, of course, I didn't mention this during this podcast, but it is something that is um, known just through research and recordings that um, Musashi was one to play like some really st strategic mind games with his enemies. And so this is actually shown in um, he would show 
up three hours late to his duels. And being that this is Japan in, in a very, very heavily respected time where integrity and honor is everything, this is like, you know, I, Tim Ferriss said it on Jocko Willink's podcast on their 100th episode reviewing the book Musashi. It's almost like taking a shit, like showing up to someone's house, taking a shit on their table, and then um, telling them that they should clean it up because it stinks. And that's how crazy disrespectful that is. So I think in a way, um, see, and this is where you might accuse me of being a Musashi stan, but I also think that that actually shows extreme creative problem solving and anything to get the mental edge in a duel uh, that is, of course, many times to life or death. So I, I find that, you know, actually that that boosts up his score as far as empathy goes, even though that's extremely rude and disrespectful. I do believe that it is um, very, very, um, very, very smart and creative when it comes to actually tackling problems and getting the mental edge before you even show up, literally. Okay, so moving on to integrity. Um, in integrity, obviously, the last statement I said about showing up three hours late is actually quite damaging to integrity, believe it or not. So um, this actually kind of pushes down my score. But at the same time, I think that it is... Um, there's a lot of strong points when it comes to Musashi and integrity. So I gave him a four. And essentially the reasons I gave him a four was in the actual Dokodo, there is a part saying, you know, you can abandon your body, but never your honor. And I believe, I truly, truly believe that Musashi meant that. And, you know, he, this homie would almost get a score of five for integrity or 4.5, um, three hours late to duels kind of knocking him down. But I think that that's also, uh, you know, obviously a benefit and helped out a lot in his scoring anyway. Um, and this is something that I find um, truly intriguing. And I feel like even though I haven't done enough research on it, it kind of gives me Brad Gilbert, Steve Jameson winning ugly vibes as far as getting the mental edge on your opponent. Of course, they were doing it in tennis, but in Musashi's case, um, you know, getting the mental edge is still very important and maybe even more so. So anyway, going to collaboration, uh, I think that there's a few things that can actually help Musashi out a lot in this. And obviously they all have to do with martial arts and then also some Zen Buddhism as well. So actually not collaboration with human beings, which is normally how we think of collaboration, but collaboration of ideas and thoughts. And this is also going to be revising or calling back to that specialized mental multi dimensionalism where he has a very special you know a specific way of interacting with many domains and fields and actually incorporating themselves together to get a holistic view of something so i think when it comes to incorporating his zen buddhism and his philosophy of course but also his swordsmanship and the way that he does that is um he you know in the doko though in the govern show he talks about how um, it's important to have the right tools for the job, but never ever use um, tools that are not necessary at the time or never carry around tools that are not necessary at the time. If you want to hear more about those things, then definitely uh, listen to the last podcast that I did on Musashi's Dokodo. So um, with that, I think that Musashi deserves a four as far as uh, collaboration. So right now he's having a strong, strong outing of four for integrity four for empathy, and four for collaboration. So when it comes to vision, 
This is one where I think Musashi actually kind of suffers a little bit, um, especially in relation to like notable figures and leaders. Being that he was so famous in Japan and legendary at the time, there, uh, and maybe this is a suffering of the time as well, and this isn't scaled to his actual time. So when you talk about vision, um, this isn't obviously Alexander the Great vision, who wanted to rule the world or anything, or, you know, like um, Temujin or, you know, uh, Genghis Khan, as some people would say. Um, I gave him a three for vision. And the reason why is because he wanted to be the best swordsman of Japan. Um, later on, uh, obviously very, very small vision when it comes to the worldwide, but also later on, I think when he was, um, you know, his vision turned to actually um, molding and, um, you know, helping guide the youth or future generations with his books and those things. So um, definitely the vision gets bumped up from that. But um Definitely, I think a three is probably quite fair for that. Now, self-awareness. I think Musashi is extraordinarily gifted with a lot of self-awareness. One, throughout kind of um, physical self-awareness of uh, body, like, you know, kinesiology. So, um, kinesthetic awareness of um, where is his body in relation to his enemy and his sword and everything like that. And he talks a lot and goes into depth about this on the Go Rin show and specific movements and how they're supposed to be done and uh you know and high 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 a high degree of body um you know self-awareness and things of that nature so i i gave him a four and a half for that so as far as x factor goes um this x factor one is actually um really really scalable or not scalable but slideable when it comes to specific leaders and what it essentially is is what skill set helps them out the most with their success and um you know their ability to be great uh, during their time so what's like one of the best defining skill sets outside of the the other five that we just talked about and i think that musashi perfectly emulates um the skill set of if you guys were playing a betting game or a drinking game, um, whoever had specialized multidimensionalism gets the winner or you get the shot. Either way, um, I think, once again, this isn't anything to downplay. Um, of course, I've said this a whole bunch of times, but I think it's extraordinarily important and you'll hear it again for sure. But um, to kind of, you know, hit the ball one more time and try to knock it out the park, uh, the way that Musashi actually operates, the way that he builds his understanding of the world is, and the way that he writes, the way that he's done art is all very warrior-like. And so when you have, um, when you have something like that, it actually helps you bridge across to these different domains very, very quickly relative to actually understanding the field and the philosophy a lot differently. And, um, this is something that can be done in a lot of areas, like I was talking about in the, in the very beginning of this podcast. But I think when Musashi actually does it, it, um, well, one, it actually is, uh, it's helpful for intelligence. So, um, I personally believe, and I'll probably talk about this on a podcast that, um, when it comes to very specialized actions or skill sets to be top 20% or let's say world-class in something, um, you actually don't need a high level of IQ. Um, when it comes to being a generalist, you do because the the way of going about it, so being a world-class, like let's say a chess grandmaster, extraordinarily difficult, but 
doesn't rely as much on intelligence. And the reason why is because chess has regimented rules. The rules don't change. Every game is similar in the fact that they follow these rules. It starts out all the same and it goes from there. But when you go into kind of open, more broad domains as far as sword fighting, um, let's say art, philosophy, all those things, there's actually more patterns to understand and recognize about the world of that specific thing. And, you know, I think that intelligence, a large part of intelligence is pattern pattern recognition. And so I think that being specialized and actually having kind of a standard metric of like jumping into something saves a lot of time when it comes to pattern recognition because later on throughout um, you mastering something you're going to get your own skill set and build that which takes a large large amount of time but if you already know hey i'm going to do this like a warrior would do it um then it kind of cuts that off and kind of speeds up your specialization tract, which is another podcast talking about how I think that the way that people learn specific skill sets is the life cycle of it is a scientist learning the butts, the bolts and nuts of it, um, learning the rules and learning hard, hard facts and measurable things. And then eventually throughout the life cycle, at the end, people become artists, which are people that bend and mold the rules um, that they initially built their philosophy or understanding on a world to then make it more of their own. But anyway, that'll be something that I'll talk about more in depth on. But essentially, I think that Musashi uh, is an excellent, excellent example of specialized multidimensionalism. And um, I'm, well, I'm sticking to it. So essentially, what we have here is out of these six categories, Musashi gets a 24.5 out of 30, which is a very, very strong score as far as what we've had relatively from uh, other leaders like Frank, uh, like Fred Hampton. Sorry, guys, I'm skidding in here at the very end. Fred Hampton, Jim Jones, um, and the likes. Uh, essentially, I think that, you know, Musashi is an amazing character and you can learn so, so much from him. You can absolutely do and don't take this podcast as the end-all be-all of things to learn about Musashi maybe even just kind of a a really get to know you warm-up to the man himself because there's so much more to go in depth on and read and you can read the Dokodo or you know the Goren show probably more specifically about 28 times and have different interpretations every time um, and learn a little bit more about it every single time too so it was amazing I really enjoyed doing this one it actually um took a while so thank you for the patience um but it also opened up a lot of understanding a lot of tracks of more knowledge and more learning as well really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to doing the next one but there we go we nailed musashi we went through all of his works so the goren show Dokodo, um, the fictional novel based on his life and then of course the leadership analysis so we are kind of all hub of musashi at this point and I'm not going to have anywhere other place to show it or say it. So please listen to those podcasts as well and let us know or let me know, uh, you know, what you thought, how you feel about the podcast, where you want it to go. If there's any leaders specifically that you want to touch on, uh, I'm happy to hear those out because I really enjoy it. This is a give and take absolutely relationship. Um, our, my last podcast was on, if you guys are anime fans, uh, Japan again, um, on the first episode of Attack on Titan, the final season, and a review on that and all the itty bitty details that you can get from there. So watch the watch the episode, listen to the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy it. 
and I'll see you guys on the next one. Peace. Thank you.